You're listening to the Assembly Call IU Podcast and Post Game Show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Activate your free Assembly Call membership today at assemblycall.com slash join. That's assemblycall.com slash join. That is how you're a champion. It really is. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call, as tonight, your Indiana Hoosiers topped the Illini of Illinois 96-80. to It was a lot of points and a lot of whistles. Uh, we're going to get into both of those, one more so than the other. Uh, but it was a great start for the Hoosiers that propelled them and got them ahead of Illinois uh, at the beginning. And then it was just too much for the Illini to overcome, although there were some runs here and there that, that caused some Hoosier fans a little bit of anxiety. Um, but, but the Hoosiers proved to be too much in this one. We're going to talk about all of it. I'm your host, Michael Dugan. I know if you don't recognize my voice, I've only been on here a couple times. Uh, I'm in for Jared. They're, everyone's at Assembly Hall right now just leaving. Uh, and I'm very pleased to announce that I'm joined uh, with Dr. Galen Clavio of the Crimson Cast. We are your hosts for this evening. Again, everyone at the Assembly Hall uh, is in Bloomington for the game for their annual meetup. Um, so I'm very, very pleased to be joined by a guest who, who knows his stuff over at Crimson Cast, and this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, but we're going to start tonight's show, as we start every show, with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And it, to me, there were a lot of you know weird moments in this one, a, a couple things that stood out. But the, the big overarching theme, I think, for me at least, was, was the, the play of Robert Johnson and, and how consistent he was. He had a lot of great uh, moves with the ball, without the ball in the first 10 minutes. He had a lot of – he had that spin cycle move at the elbow to get to the hoop uh, in that opening run for Indiana. He hit his shots. He was uh, two of two from the line. He got to the line once but uh, made it count. He did turn it over a couple times, and he didn't – you know, he didn't have a lot of assists. But he had 18 points. He was 7 of 11 shooting. Uh, and, and he played a great basketball game. And I think he was the glue as he's been, you know, in his time at Indiana. He was the glue that, that held this team together – uh, and kind of kept the flow going through the first 15, almost full 20 minutes of that first half. Um, so tonight's banner moment goes to Robert Johnson. I know we're going to be name-dropping him a lot tonight um, because he was great, as, along with that other guard uh, by the name of James Blackman Jr. So tonight's banner moment, as always, is brought to you by our friends over at Hoosier Proud, an Indiana-based brand by Hoosiers for Hoosiers. Cotter at the team at Hoosier Proud offer a line of t-shirts and accessories that are unmatched for anyone who wants a unique and stylish way to display their own pride in being a Hoosier. Check them out over at HoosierProud.com and use the promo code ASSEMBLY to receive a 15% discount on your entire order. That is promo code ASSEMBLY to receive 15% off at HoosierProud.com. All right, let's make the extra pass. Find the open man and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team, which tonight is just a two-man team. Once again, I'm joined by Dr. Galen Clavio of the Crimson Tech cast. So what stuck out to you tonight? A big overarching theme from tonight's game. I think the biggest thing for me was how well IU was able to come out and establish themselves in this game early on. And I think that was a big step. It was a big thing for this IU team. They'd really struggled to do that really in the last three games. And 
if you look at the, the the games where IU's had problems so far this year, and we can obviously throw you know the IPF or the yeah the IPFW game in there and the Butler game in there, they've really struggled out of the gates. They didn't do that this time. Uh, you know, I think they were helped by an Illinois team that seemed hell bent on sabotaging themselves at every opportunity early on, and so that certainly was a positive factor for this IU team. But they took advantage of it, and that's something that they've struggled with over the course of. Uh, frankly, the last couple of weeks. So that's the positive I'm going to take out of this game. And I think that's the positive that Tom Crean is going to be communicating to his team as they move forward. Now, the negative part of me has to look at the second half, though, and say, you know, as impressive as the final margin was, a 16-point victory, almost put 100 points on the board, uh, they let this Illinois team score over a point and a half per possession in the second half. And for the game, they let Illinois score 1.2 points per possession, which is one of their highest uh, scoring margins of the year. Like they do not normally score that efficiently. Uh, so that is something that I would be uh, looking back on with some concern simply because, you know, we really didn't see this IU team slam the door. Uh, instead, they they just kind of left the door open and hoped that Illinois wasn't going to be able to score enough points to get back through it. Unfortunately, that was the case. But uh, so it's it's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde sort of game. IU deserves a lot of credit for offensively keeping their foot on the gas throughout. Uh, defensively, though, there was a lot of let up, and and that's something that is still a bit of a concern for this team. Exactly, and it was it was a high and low game. And Indiana peaked a couple times, and they hit rock bottom a couple times. And I saw a tweet from Chronic Hoosier, I believe, and I don't remember the exact wording, but it had something to do with Indiana plays great basketball when they are there when they are out hunting, but they do not play their best game when they are the hunted. And, and that's entirely accurate. And and we saw that tonight. And tonight, I think, is a good microcosm of what their season has been so far and even a little bit last year uh, but absolutely more so this year uh and when indiana's got the target on their back you know they, they've crumbled and we saw that like you said when they jumped out to a lead uh a nice comfortable lead in that first half and then illinois kept chipping away and it got back to single digits at one point and you know i don't know about any of you guys but i never actually thought that indiana was going to fully blow this game and, and give the lead away and lose it i never thought that was going to happen but it's not comforting in any sense to to watch them kind of make Illinois or allow Illinois to make this a game because this was a game that they jump out to a 15 to nothing start Illinois wasn't on the board at the first media timeout and that was because yes Malcolm Hill their leading scorer did have three fouls and he had to sit but when he came back in that's when that run kind of started and it, it it peaked and it had its valleys um but this was a game that that had a lot of of, of high moments and a lot of low moments for the Hoosiers. And we're going to get to both of those. We're going to cover it all tonight. Um, kind of talk about what this means going forward, how they rebounded on things they struggled with on that three-game three, three game losing streak. Uh, we're going to get to it all. But first, I want to take a quick minute and tell you about our other sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show that you want to go to. And none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or a concert because everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal for your tickets. SeatGeek does all the work 
You save time and money. It's a win-win right here. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase to get that $20 rebate. And who wouldn't want that? So simple. Download the SeatGeek app, then go to the settings tab, click add a promo code, and that promo code is assembly. And if you do that, SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app, enter that promo code assembly today. You're listening to The Assembly Call, another victorious edition of The Assembly Call. I'm Michael Dugan, here again with Dr. Galen Clavio of the Crimson Cast. We are in for the regular guys who are down in Bloomington, who are hopefully now enjoying that Indiana's first Big Ten win of the year, their first win of 2017 against Illinois. Uh, We covered Robert Johnson, how great he was. There's another guard that we absolutely need to talk about. Uh, There's a lot to get to tonight, uh, from Blackman to Thomas Bryant to this team's consistency, which we were just touching on. Um, so let's continue with that a little bit. And there were, there were things that, that we all saw, uh, you know, after that Louisville game and after the Nebraska game, especially, and, and, and continuing after the Wisconsin game. And one of those things to me, and I'm sure many people share, I know Ryan shares this view, uh, is, is Thomas Bryant. And I, I don't, I can't remember who said it. It might've been Ryan. It might've been someone completely not affiliated with the assembly call, but someone said that Thomas Bryant, and obviously this is not entirely accurate is trying to be more like a Kevin Durant and play along the, the three-point line and trying to make plays with his hands and try to dribble and try and get off contested threes. And that's just not his game. Um, and, and from what I saw in the first half, for the first, I think every single possession until the first media timeout, and I'll get your thoughts on this, he, he, he was camping out in the corner. And it, it almost seemed like that they were trying to take him and, and his defender out of the play, which is obviously that's not what they were doing because whoever was on him and it changed at different points of the game, not an elite defender. They're not going to change the game by any means. Thomas Bryant holds a physical advantage to whoever was guarding him in the paint throughout this entire game. But it, it seemed to me as though for almost the entire first half, they, they, they kind of relied on him circling the paint or I'm sorry, circling the three point line, camping out in the corner. And then in the second half, they fed it to him three times in a row down low in the paint and he scored on the first two possessions. So I mean, it's, it's kind of up to you which you think is more effective. To me, it's pretty clear that he is more effective when he gets the ball in the paint and when the offense fluctuates through him. Am I wrong there at all? I don't think you're wrong. Uh, look, I, to me, the biggest issue with Thomas Bryant hasn't been whether he drifts out to the perimeter or whether he's putting himself in a position where you know, he's, he's you know, occupying one particular part of, of the low post or the high post or whatever. With him, it's almost just entirely about confidence, and that confidence hits both ends of the floor. And it doesn't even seem to be something that really is affected by what's going on in the game. He seems to come in with a particular mindset. Uh, you know, against Wisconsin, against Louisville, he seemed scared of the basketball. You know, he seemed scared to have it in his hands. He seemed scared to be guarding somebody that had the basketball. And it it was really disconcerting because we're used to seeing this guy who you know was was so full of swagger and so confident throughout that that run down the stretch last year in the Big Ten and even really through the early part of this season that to watch him without confidence is jarring almost and he did not lack in confidence today like he he seemed to know coming into this game that really Illinois wasn't going to be able to do a whole lot to defend him and that was the case now I do think positionally what you're talking about was certainly a factor in terms of how they started to use him and how that differed from half to half. But there, you know, I always complain about 
you know, Indiana's defensive indifference sometimes. Well, Illinois seemed defensively indifferent all over the place. I think Bryant was probably the biggest beneficiary of that because he got a couple of buckets early. He got a three-pointer relatively early, and he really put himself in a position where he felt like he could do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. And, you know, so he ends up with, you know, what did he have, 20 points and six rebounds. I mean, that's a classic Thomas Bryant sort of game. It's what we've been looking for, and, and I really think it just came down to him coming into the game and saying, I'm not going to have a problem playing against this Illinois team. Yeah, and I saw some tweets because obviously I was not at Assembly Hall, but I did see some tweets saying that, you know, he was his first shots in warm-up were down in the post, and he was working on his post moves. Those were his first – that was his go-to right when he came out of the locker room for warm-ups, you know, 90 minutes before the game. Um, so to me, that suggested, okay – we're going to see more of the the Thomas Bryant that that dominates down low, and less of the Thomas Bryant that looks for a three. And I don't, I can't sit here and say that this team is better off if Thomas Bryant completely stays away from the three point line and never attempts a three because that's ludicrous. And he hit, he was two for two on threes today. One of them, I thought, you know, it was a fine look. It was early in the game, um, and the other one was was later in the second half. I think when Indiana started to finally pull away from that that final Illinois run, uh, he got double teamed in the post. He kicked it out and, and then I think ran around an off-ball screen, caught it and, and was wide open for three and he took it. That is how Indiana should use his, his new and improved three-point shot is when he gets double teamed and the attention is all on Thomas Bryant. That is when I think it is not only appropriate, but I would almost recommend you know, finding that if, if at all possible. Obviously, I'd have rather have James Blackman take the three if we need a three. But he's very capable of knocking down an open three, and we've seen that time and time again. And he'd love to show you he's very capable of knocking down an open three. Um, yeah, I you mean, go, you go. I think the, the three-point thing is overblown. I mean, if you look at the last eight games, Thomas Bryant has taken one three-pointer, two three-pointers, one, two, one, 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 and two. So it's it's not like this has become – a regular part of his arsenal. I think the problem is more the longer two-point shots or just the stationing, you know, 16, 18 feet beyond the basket. Certainly, this is not a guy that's ever going to be even our third three-point option. Um, you know, this this team so much builds its offense around spacing. And one of the interesting things with Bryant is he seems to be getting pulled out of the space down low uh, which which is good in some cases, but we don't have that driving, penetrating guard like we had last year in Yogi Ferrell to take advantage of that. And so what ends up happening is uh, I think it almost clogs the perimeter too much for this IU team to have the same sort of effectiveness in important half-court offensive possessions. But, um, no, I think you're right. I think as he as he gravitates further towards the post in games like this, I mean, this is this wasn't that unusual of a game. I mean, he played similar to this, I thought, in the Nebraska game. He played similar to this in the Butler game. He played similar to this in the Fort Wayne game. I mean, he's, he's had a decent number of games, uh, even in losses, where he's been able to, you know, to, to have a relatively good offensive performance, and most of that production's come from down low. Without question. And he played a sensational, sensational game tonight against Illinois. I don't want to take anything away from him there. He was 6 of 6 from the field and 6 of 8 from the free throw line. He had 20 points and 6 boards and, and a pair of blocks. So he played great. He did have four fouls, but that's a conversation to be had at another time. The officiating was was rather active tonight um, in terms of how often they were blowing the whistle to stop the game. Um, but no, Thomas played a great game, and like you said, the the three point, you know, how often he'll take a three point shot or that long two, it's getting blown up a little bit. 
um, especially as of late. It was not really a huge problem, but it was there before Big Ten play started and before this three-game losing streak that has just now ended with this big win against Illinois. Um, but I, I think the focus is is more so why is he not in the paint more often, like you said, um, as opposed to why is he taking too many threes. It's more a focus of what is why is he not doing this as opposed to why is he doing this. And I really think it's just because there have been games when he's lacked confidence. And it seems to only be against – um, you know, it was against Louisville and it was against Wisconsin. Like those were the two primary games where he just looked like he didn't want any part of being in the post. And I don't know what the deal is with that. Um, now, it's it's certainly a a good thing moving forward that we see that he's able to do this against Illinois and have a good game. But I don't think that there was any question that he could have games like this against teams like Illinois that aren't very good. The question becomes, okay, when they have to play you know, a Michigan State or a Purdue, especially, or, or Wisconsin again, is he going to have the same sort of problems getting himself into the post and staying there as he had against Wisconsin and Louisville? Agreed. And, and he has had problems in the past, like last year against Duke, and I, I hate dipping back into this because it's just such a nightmare. Um, and he was a freshman, a true freshman at that time, so it's tough to kind of compare him to that. But he was lost in that game and completely overwhelmed because it was Duke, because it, it was such a, a high, a marquee opponent and, and a team that he knew was going to be a tough matchup in every position. And, you know, it did happen against Wisconsin and it did happen against Louisville and it's going to happen against Purdue in all likelihood, which scares me because of, you know, the, the two-headed monster that they have. But but it didn't happen against North Carolina, really. It didn't happen, um, you know, against Kansas. I mean, he had 19 points and, and 10 rebounds in that game. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think we, we have to keep in mind that the way that this team is put together, you, you're, you're asking for consistent performances sometimes out of sophomores. And, you know, in this day and age in college basketball, we think of sophomores as veterans at the end of the day, mental maturity, emotional maturity doesn't always come at the same rate for everybody. And so whether it's a Thomas Bryan or an OG Ananobi, you may not get the same sort of consistency out of them game to game, particularly when it's a big opponent. And that's that may not actually be an indicator of what they're going to do the next time they play a big opponent. They might come out and score you know, 28 points and, and grab 10 boards. Uh, it, it's a very inconsistent sort of thing. That's something that you just have to deal with, unfortunately, in, in this day and age in college basketball. You're, you're right. And it hasn't happened, like you said, against UNC and Kansas. But it's, it's weird. It's interesting to me because this is a guy who, you know, against Delaware State or Austin P or even Illinois tonight, he comes out with his head higher than anyone I've ever seen. And he, he's a kid that just naturally has a lot of confidence. And that's a great trait to have, especially if you're a basketball player. And if you stand at 6'10", 6'11", for, for the Indiana Hoosiers, that's a great trait to have. But the thing is, and obviously this comes with maturation of young guys and stuff like that, like you said, we tend to think of sophomores as veterans, especially in this day and age of the one and done. But this is a guy that still has some maturing to do. And, and, it, and I think we see that especially in, in the level of emotion that he normally plays the game with. And, you know, we, we love seeing him pumping his fist and getting excited and pumping the crowd up. But there's a downside to that, which is guys like that tend to have really big mood swings from game to game. And that can really affect the way you're playing basketball. And, you know, you can we can talk about, oh, 
you know, the coaching staff needs to work with them on trying to level things out so that the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. That sounds good in, in theory, but that rarely, you know, works, you know, overnight. Like that's something that takes years to really get dialed down. I mean, you know, for those of us who are older, I mean, Michael, you're still in college, but most of us remember that we were far more up and down as, as you no know, 19, 20, 21 year olds than we are in our late thirties or however old we happen to be. And so, Look, I think this is just going to be something that we're going to have to deal with with Thomas Bryant. Uh, to some degree, it's kind of a roulette wheel. You you hope that when the ball you know drops into the slot, it's going to be on a, you know a, a Thomas Bryant that's really focused and really confident, as opposed to the one that really struggles with you know wanting to have the ball if you're playing a big opponent. So you know we'll just have to see. It's going to be something we got to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, he's not the only mercurial player on this team. Uh, it seems like everybody on this team runs hot and cold. I mean, everybody's been raving about Juwan Morgan, and rightfully so. Juwan Morgan fouled out today. He had five fouls in nine minutes uh, in the game today. Really didn't play that well overall. Um, you're going to have games like that, uh, it seems like, from everybody on this roster. It's one of the more fascinating rosters that we've seen at IU for a while just because there isn't that baseline level of consistency that you'd like to see out of a lot of guys. Exactly, and you brought up a good point that I want to get to. Uh, and we're going to get to that right after this read. I, I want to take a quick minute and tell you guys why you should activate your free assembly call membership. Three quick reasons. Number one, it's quick and easy. It'll take you 15 seconds. Go to assemblycall.com slash join. Two, it's how you get our best content. By joining, you will receive our weekly six-banner Saturday IU Hoops News Roundup, went out this morning, as well as our detailed post-game analysis emails. Also, it's how you connect with us and the Assembly Call community. Only members can access our moderated post-game live and discussion forum. If you like what you hear on the Assembly Call, becoming a member is the logical next step. It takes 10 seconds. Join us for free at assemblycall.com join. Welcome, guys. You are listening to the Assembly Call, another victorious edition again. I'm Michael Dugan. I'm in for Jared here with Dr. Galen Clavio of the Crimson Cast. We are discussing Indiana's victory over Illinois, 96 to 80, almost hit the century mark. Um, but but you brought up a good point earlier, and you talked about about Thomas Bryant and his inconsistency. And you know he's a 20 year old kid; he's a sophomore. We're going to have to deal with this. The Hoosiers are going to have to deal with this going forward. And we've seen over the past couple of weeks and over the past two years, really as a whole, that when he does have those down games. Indiana tends to play a little lost, and there's a lot more going into it. It's not like this team, you know, if Tom, it's not like, you know, Thomas Bryant, you go, we go. It's not like that. Uh, there's a lot more going into it. But, you know, going forward, he's going to have these down games. And to you, I'll, you know, this changes per person, and obviously Tom Crean will feel a completely different way. Um, but how should or how will Indiana react? I guess more of a how should they. How should they react? when Thomas Bryant has these down games. We've seen them lean on Blackman, but sometimes that 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 proves to be bad too. You know, they're going to have to hope that Deron Davis uh, emerges as a consistent post presence that can rotate in and and not have those sorts of ups and downs when Bryant is having those ups and downs. I mean, we didn't see much out of Deron Davis today. We didn't need to. Uh, you know, he shot, uh, you know, six free throws, and, and that was nice, but he didn't play that much. Um, but – what you have to worry about, I think, is the fact that Bryant is a very unique sort of player. Bryant's a, a, not a player that has an analog on this roster. Um, and this is a roster that, that frankly, doesn't have a lot of depth 
in the post to begin with. So if you've got a game where Thomas Bryant just isn't doing it, uh, and you're, you know, that that really makes it difficult for IU to thrive because they don't get their three point shots opened up. Uh, you know, they don't have that driving, you know, that, that driving, slashing, kicking point guard that they they've been accustomed to having. So they can't draw defenses off that way. You know, I, I'm not saying that it, that games are, are hopeless when Bryant isn't playing well. I mean, they were in that Wisconsin game till the end, even though he was basically a non-entity. But when he, if he does end up being a non-entity in future games, it really will come down to, you know, can Deron Davis come in or can OG Ananobi establish himself down low and try to stretch that defense uh, to the point that it can get some of the outside shooters open. Uh, you know, it's if there's a frustration that I have with this roster, it, it's got so many talented pieces, but it it doesn't fit together, I think, as like, particularly well. I mean, the, the pieces are complementary only if they're all working simultaneously. And when you take a Thomas Bryant with his particular skill set on both sides of the ball uh, out of the equation, it really upsets the balance of this team. And I don't see easy answers for that right now. And so it's going to be interesting to watch that develop as the season goes along. Absolutely. And, and you know, seasons like last year, the last four years, if if something would go wrong with a Thomas Bryant or, or another key player, we would kind of lean on Yogi, especially last year after he kind of solidified his leadership role and ability to take over games and say, guys, this is what we're doing. And then they go and do it. They don't have Yogi this year. They don't have an equivalent to Yogi this year. And everyone expected that to be Thomas Bryant. So, because, you know, he's, you know, personality-wise, he's the only guy that's kind of outspoken and can be a vocal leader. OG doesn't say a word when he's on the floor. Blackman Jr. doesn't say a word when he's on the floor. So we kind of expect that Thomas Bryant, especially with how much he grew last year, to be this leader. And he hasn't quite panned out to be that. He has not really failed in any way. I think he's had a good season. He's had, yes, like you said, some down games, which is going to happen with a 20-year-old kid. But, I mean, obviously the leadership that he's shown is nothing like what we saw from Yogi last year. So I think that this team – and it, it may it, because they've relied on that at the point guard position the last year and a half with with Yogi, they clearly don't have that with Josh Newkirk this year. And I think going down the road, it's going to haunt them. And they have to learn to you know, like you said, work with all these pieces. You know that when they work well, they're complementary to each other. And it's so it's it's beautiful basketball. That Kansas game was fun to watch. The North Carolina game was was almost flawless. I mean, it was they bled from from wire to wire and. You know, when they're clicking, I mean, they can beat anyone in the country. And, you know, they have beaten almost anyone in the country. But the, the downside to that is when they're not clicking, we get the Fort Wayne game. You know, Butler's a great opponent, but that game wasn't pretty by from IU by any means. And you get Nebraska. And uh, it's just frustrating to watch sometimes. But it's just one of those things that we've got to learn to live with. Um yeah, I mean, you know, it's been interesting because I've thought a lot about that Kansas game and and to some degree about the North Carolina game and and this this beautiful basketball that we have seen them play. You know, so much of of IU at at their peak, peak IU, I guess you would say, uh, it it really comes down to being able to to get and generate points off the fast break. We saw that tonight. Uh, to a large degree. I mean, a lot of what they did in that first half that made them look so good was they they turned Illinois over, they forced Illinois into bad shots, and Illinois was atrocious in transition defense in that first half. And IU's offense suddenly looked normal again because when they're able to run, and we saw this last year, we saw it in 2013, we saw it in 2012, when IU's had you know really, really dynamite offenses, 
it's almost always flowed out of the transition game. Uh, my daughter is joining us here on the podcast. I, I, I'm guessing she agreed with that point. Thank you, dear. Um, but, uh, you know, if you look at what Louisville and Wisconsin and IPFW or Fort Wayne, I guess I need to stop calling it IPFW, uh, and Butler and Nebraska, what all those teams really did was they limited their own turnovers, which took away some of IU's uh, ability to break, and they abandoned uh, you know, the offensive glass to a large degree. You know, they it, rather than going after offensive rebounds, they let IU take those as defensive rebounds, but they would run back the other way to try to cancel out IU's ability to break. So, you know, we all look at that Kansas game and we're like, my God, look at the, you know, look at the potential that this IU team has. But I keep thinking back to that Kansas game and there just wasn't a lot of defense being played by either team. And I think in games where there's not a lot of defense played, it goes right into the hands of this IU team because it, it allows them to get threes. It allows them to get open layups in transition when they can't do that, which I think is going to be most of the rest of the season because I, most, most coaches other than John Gross will actually watch film, uh, you know, of, of games. And I think that's going to create problems for this IU team. And they're going to have to figure out a secondary way to score points and win games uh, simply because I think that option is going to get taken away from them more often than not as we move forward. 100%. And that's what we've seen this season is, you know, it's when, when there's no defense being played, like you said, this team thrives. And, you know, that's the thing. You're going to blow out these these lesser teams that, that that don't play great defense, like Delaware State and Austin P. But you come across a team like Butler, Wisconsin, Louisville, which is one of the best defenses in the country, if not the best, you're, you're going you're gonna to have some problems. And that's something that, you know, right now, looking at that loss against Louisville and that loss against Wisconsin, it stings a little bit because they came back to back and it's two straight losses. And, you know, if you, if you look into the bracketology now, you know, I use not at all where we, anyone thought they would be at this point in time, um, you know, right around that eight, nine, I've, I've seen some 10 seeds. It's not really relevant right now. Um, it's, it's a lot of speculation. It's still January. Anything can happen. Um, but I, I mean, it's, it's what we've seen so far. And in terms of their seeding come tournament time, Granted, you know, this is, you know, given they'll make the tournament, which is nothing's given in college basketball. But if they play like this, I think they'll be okay. Um, it, it's it's, it's going to help them along the way, those losses against Louisville and Wisconsin, because they, they're forced then, almost forced to learn how to play when teams slow it down, when teams cut them off in transition, when teams play good defense. And we haven't seen them succeed yet when an, when an opponent decides to do that or when an opponent is capable of doing that, because – it, don't get me wrong, it's tough to run with Indiana. It's not an easy task. Um, but when teams can and when teams do, and a lot of Big Ten teams are going to do this, it's going to be tough for Indiana to adjust. And I think if they slow it down and start feeding Thomas Bryant more in the post, going back to what we talked about earlier, I think it could make it a lot easier. He's going to draw double teams. He did tonight. Blackman hit open threes. Robert Johnson made a lot of plays. So I think that, that it's not going to be the solution to every problem, but I think it's a good place to start. Once conference play heats up and teams start playing better defense than, you know, Houston Baptist. Yeah, no, I think that's the case. I mean, you do worry if you're reliant on Bryant in the in the post opening up the outside game. If a team that actually can play zone, which which excludes Illinois from this conversation, but but a team that could actually play a zone defense uh, starts playing against IU in, in that setup, that creates some problems because then you don't have the double teams jump dropping down. Um, it's an interesting sort of scenario that we're painting moving forward 
that again, my daughter apparently not a, a huge fan of, of this scenario, but I'm sorry, dear. I'm going to have to talk about it anyway. Um, we just haven't seen great half court execution consistently. And it's because I think, you know, some of it is the, you know, the, the mercurial nature of a couple of the players, but some of it's just the mercurial nature of shooting. Uh, you know, this IU team thrives on being one of the better shooting teams in the country. And you know, I don't have the, I don't know how the numbers are going to necessarily play out when you factor in tonight, but you know, they're top 50 in three point field goal percentage, they're top 10 in two point field goal percentage. Uh, you know, that's where their bread and butter is. Um, and so they, and really, you know, one of the things that's made them, uh, you know, a, a difficult team to play against has been the offensive rebounding. I mean, the offensive rebounding has, has frankly kept them in a lot of games. Uh, you know, we, we look at the, the Wisconsin game or the Louisville game and we're like, gosh, those were tough losses. Those could have been a lot worse if IU isn't grabbing, you know, nine offensive rebounds against Wisconsin or if they're not grabbing, you know, whatever the, the number they had against Louisville was, um, you know, they had they had 19 offensive rebounds against Louisville. I mean, you can imagine that game with with even just half of those, how, how much of a blowout that might have been. So, uh, you know, the, the, offensively, there really has to be, uh, I, I think, a you know, more work done on how they're organizing themselves. There, there are some struggles that they're running into defensively that are affecting the way that they're playing offense in that, you know, we saw, you know, Newkirk's, you know, had to get subbed out a couple of times in this game because of defensive liabilities in the second half. And then you bring in McRoberts and McRoberts, while he's played pretty well defensively, uh, you know, I was looking at this stat the other day and, and it's still kind of boggles my mind, but you know, coming into this game, Zach McRoberts had taken 12 total shots on the season. And let me look at the numbers from today. He didn't take a shot today either. So, you know, you can play Zach McRoberts and maybe you need to play him for eight, 10 minutes, even more than that a game. But that's basically a black hole offensively that you're not going to be able to get any sort of production out of. Um, those are the sorts of compromises. And we see the same thing, you know, James Blackman, uh, obviously, a dynamite shooter, a really dynamic offensive player, a very bad defensive liability right now for this team. You know, how do you move forward, particularly if the game gets settled down into a slower half-court sort of game um, where you're having to rely on either defensive lineups that don't allow the offensive movement that you need and the shooting that you need, or vice versa, offensive lineups that are leaving you wide open defensively? It's a very interesting conundrum, and I'm curious to see how it ends up playing out. No, it is. And obviously a lot of these problems would be, you know, getting close to being solved if Colin Hartman were healthy, but you can't play the what if game in college basketball. Um, but that's a good point you made on McRoberts because I, I noticed that he was so quietly on the floor for a little while. And Alex McCarthy tweeted that he, he entered the game at the 545 mark. And I don't quite remember what the score was at that point. And I don't think that was when Illinois was in single digits. I think that's a little too late, but he was on the floor from the 545 mark, so almost the six-minute mark, until I, I don't know when he came out, but it was at least when, when there was a one on, on the timer. So there, it was one minute and something left uh, at least when he came out. So he was on the floor for at least four minutes. Like you said, didn't attempt a shot. And, you know, I get it with foul trouble and everything. Just, you know, this game – take everything about this game with, with a grain of salt, if you will, uh, just because the fouls, you know, kind of – limited both teams and didn't allow them to play with any flow or, or urgency or anything. Um, but I, I don't understand, and I know Crean loves him, but he doesn't really contribute a whole lot offensively. And, 
you know, defensively, there's other options. And, you know, you can look to OG. Jawan Morgan had fouled out, so I'm assuming in this in a situation like that, we're not going to see McRoberts on the floor if Jawan Morgan is healthy and has not yet fouled out like he did tonight. Um, but it, I just thought it was interesting the way that Crean used McRoberts down the stretch uh, as opposed to Davis uh, or, or, you know, the lineup minus – Morgan and an insert OG. It was just, it was a little confusing to me. I mean, it worked out fine, but it, it was a head scratcher to me for, for a little bit. I mean, I, you know, it's tough when, especially when you're trying to defend guards, uh, you know, I don't think you can, you can, you can put Morgan in there and sometimes it's going to work, but I mean, uh, the other options, uh, they're not as good. And I don't think, think that, um, you know, we got to see a decent amount of Devonte green today. And that was, that looked like it was, you know, something that might work down the line. But I think, Crean, Crean really thinks McRoberts, if you look at the comments he's made about McRoberts, the way that he's played McRoberts, he really looks at McRoberts as a team leader, as a guy that, that um, you know, goes in and performs in a way that other people can't on the defensive end. And, you know, that's it's interesting watching this develop because early on in the season when he was playing McRoberts, we were like, okay, why is this guy getting as many minutes? But I, I think the idea that McRoberts is is going to be a fixture with this lineup for a long time, that's something we all got to get our heads wrapped around because there's something about the way that he plays or something that he brings to the, the floor that Crean seems to really like. Um, now... <laughs> What that ends up doing long term, as far as this team's concerned, I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting because you know there's been a lot of talk about Newkirk and and how Newkirk fits in. And, and I guess I look at it like this: in a perfect world where Newkirk is performing like the starting point guard that that people thought he was going to be, you don't need to play McRoberts between eight and twelve minutes a game. But we don't have that, and it seems like Crean is. Uh, trying to, uh, you know, massage that situation as best he can, still give Newkirk minutes, but then compensate for other shortcomings on the roster by getting McRoberts in there because he seems to think that that's the best possibility. And I look at the roster and I'm like, maybe, maybe, I mean, I'm not saying it's a good possibility. It's, I'm not saying it's a good solution, but maybe it is the best available one at this point because uh, we're not seeing the freshmen stepping into those roles. And I guess, Maybe Juwan Morgan, you're just not comfortable with him being in those particular situations where he's having to guard three-point shooters. Uh, we saw a little bit of that today, and he ended up really struggling. Yeah, and and like you said, he's kind of a liability offensively, taking 12 shots on the year, like you said, and none tonight. So when he's on the floor, I don't want it to be you know at the tail end or in the middle of a run by an opponent by an opposing team because you know, like you said. Offensive liability. If you want to bring him in for defensive reasons, which is understandable, if you can't stop it all, if you can't stop a run, maybe call a timeout, sub him in, get a defensive stop if you want. But I, I think that having him in for more than than three minutes at a time is dangerous. And you know, he he did kind of he's good at moving the ball and getting it in his hands and then finding a cutter or, or setting a screen. He's good at that. But I mean, guys know he's not going to take that shot and he's not going to go search for his shot and. You know, he doesn't – kind of like – I mean, they don't really have the same game at all. Um, but we saw with Harrison Diego last year, he was so not confident in his shot. He'd have these – and Kareem, we saw him – we saw Kareem plug him in at some random times where I'd look to the person next to him and be like, "What? why is he in the game? And, you know, it's a two-point game with, you know, 10 minutes to go against Purdue and he's in the game, you know. Um, but he would come in and opponents would know that he would not take a shot. You know, he's not looking for a shot. 
no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So I think that McRoberts kind of brings to forth that mentality of a game. They play different games, like I said, but you know, when he's in the game, it's almost like they've got four and a half guys on offense because, again, he, he, the offense flows well with him in there, and he's, he's good. He makes smart passes. He makes clean passes, uh, and he sets good screens, but he's not looking for a shot. And with a team that likes to play fast, I, again, having him in for more than three minutes at a time is dangerous. Niego took 13 shots total last There you season. go. There you go. The big question is, does, does McRoberts end up exceeding that number? Because the way the Big Ten play has started, maybe not. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. What, what were your thoughts? Let me ask you this. Regarding the, you know, the, the overall play for IU tonight was, was pretty good. I mean, you know, offensively, uh, Alex Bozich from inside the hall just posted this. The, the offensive performance tonight actually moved them up to ninth in Ken Pomeroy's uh, adjusted offensive efficiency rating, which is good. Defensively, they've dropped to 91st in the country now, and, and that is not good. And, you know, it's something that all you have to do is look at the second half where, as I mentioned at the top of the show, they actually were more efficient scoring the ball than Indiana was. They, their offensive efficiency was one. 53.6, which for the uninitiated means for every possession, they were scoring 1.5 points per possession. That's that's not good uh, if you're the Indiana defense. Normally, you want to keep your opponent to under one point per possession. And this has become a, you know, a, a major concern for this IU team in that they just don't seem to be able to play uh, good defense. Some of it is forcing turnovers. Uh, you know, they did a good job in the first eight minutes to 12 minutes of this game. They forced, uh, you know, Illinois to turn the ball over on about a quarter of their possessions. From that point forward, Illinois only turned the ball over on 6% of their possessions in the whole second half. Um, th this team seems to only play like really hard, really focused defense for very short stretches of time. And then when they get up by a certain, uh, you know, degree, they just seem to turn that part of things off and they say to themselves, you know what, we're just going to be able to outscore these guys um, uh, on days when they're not scoring. That's a real danger. How do they turn that around? Like, how do you see this particular personnel set being able to, to change the way that they're approaching that? I, it, I mean, at first you have to say that it, it starts with their mentality because like you said, they just turn that switch off and they are an offensive powerhouse. No one can deny that they can score as many points as they want on any given night. But with the speed that they play, yes, they, they can play some good defense. But And obviously, this is not all on one guy. I've seen a lot of tweets and stuff and, and some articles even written saying, you know, James Blackman Jr. is the cause of, the bad de of Indiana's bad defense. You can't go blaming one guy on a complete defensive breakdown during a certain stretch of a game. Yes, he's not their best defender. And did this team improve last year defensively when he went down? Maybe. At times, yes. At times, no. Uh, I mean, again, you can't hinge this on one guy. But, I, again, at the same time, you know, he is certainly – he can be a liability defensively. And, you know, he kind of has this mindset where if he lets something go on defense, if he lets a guy blow by him, he's going to go down and make up for it on the offensive end. And when he's shooting well, I, I'm not saying I'm okay with that, but I'm not not okay with that because when he's shooting well, he can create his own shot. He can knock down an open or contested three. But, you know – Going back to answer your question, I think it starts with the mentality of this team. And if they can can exit halftime or, or come out of a TV timeout and say, all right, we're going to lock them down defensively. We're going to work our tails off until the next media timeout, until the next you know big break. 
and and we're gonna we're gonna try and hold them to no points like they did. And obviously, that's a very difficult goal um, to to hold someone for to, for zero field goals, zero points for a four or five minute stretch. Nearly impossible to to duplicate. But if they go out there with that mentality and say we're just gonna lock them down because they know they can play quick in transition. If they say we're gonna go lock them down, and one thing I've noticed is is on ball screens. They're lost. I mean, it, from Thomas Bryant to Jawan Morgan to sometimes OG, there's no communication on ball screens, and they are completely, completely lost. Sometimes if someone's coming off on the left side, you know, if someone's coming off a ball screen on the left side, uh, they'll just let them go right to the hoop, and they'll get fouled or their finish or whatever. And, and sometimes it'll be a double team, and the guy setting the pick is so open, he can roll to the hoop or he can pop back and catch it and take a jumper. So – that's one big thing, you know, I say change your mentality a little bit. Just because you're an offensive team doesn't mean you have to focus completely on offense. Play a little defense too and try and act like you're a good defensive team because they certainly can be. But another thing where they're very liable is is on ball screens. And, and I, I think that they've got to communicate. That starts with communication. Ball screen, basketball 101. If there's a screen, you yell screen left, screen right, or, or wherever it is, and, and you just communicate and, and adjust from there. It's, it can be fixed in practice. It can be worked on in practice. It won't be fixed overnight, but, I mean, you can work on that straight up in practice, and, and it, just a little bit of that will, will escalate into that next game, and it's, it's a domino effect from there. It's not, it's not that hard of a fix. It really isn't. I don't know, man. I, I, I'd, I love mean, say, I'd love to say I agree with you. I really I, would. But, I, you know, I've looked at this. I've watched this IU team under Tom Crean now for however long he's been here now, eight years, nine years. And the, 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 they've had one year where they were a top 25 defense, and that was 2013 when they had, you know, two top five draft picks on the roster. Um, you know, even last year, uh, you know, on, on a team that was – acceptably athletic and and had some veteran leadership they were 59th in the country defensively the same problems whether it's the ball screens whether it's not communicating on on stuff going on in the post you know whether it's the way that they switch or don't switch it's the same stuff that pops up every single year and, and you know i i'd love to say that this team was somehow different i mean they've certainly got the talent uh and the athleticism but you know, this this is a worse defensive team than last year by, you know, by a significant margin, I would say, at this point. And, you know, at some point you have to say maybe it isn't necessarily the players not communicating with each other. Maybe it's the way that the defense is being set up, um, you know, and you just you look you look down the line at, at the teams that that have been on the floor for IU over the course the course of the last six or seven years. And it's just been this consistent problem over and over again. Um you know, and we've had significantly different types of personnel. Uh, we, you know, we've had veteran teams, we've had rookie teams, we've had, you know, teams with a lot of athleticism, teams with not that much, and it seems to never really change. And it's something that, for this particular team, uh, I think is is of paramount importance because they're, you know, they're so reliant on their shooting to be able to score points and win games. And the show relying on their transition game that if they don't have those things going, there doesn't seem to be the defense that you would fall back on to be able to win games. And that, that really is a concern, particularly since, you know, they've got, uh, what, 15 Big Ten games remaining, and nine of those games are in uh, road environments, uh, which is generally a place where this IU team hasn't played great defense anyway. Yeah, and let me just clarify I said easy fix, and that's a tough term to throw out there in any context. This, def this team's defensive struggles is not an easy fix. That is not what I meant by that. I meant 
specifically just the ball screen and, and communicating on that because that has been a big problem of theirs. Um, but you're absolutely right talking about just as the, for the Korean era as a whole, this team has not been good defensively. And they had that one good year, that, like you said, when they had the two top five draft picks, who one of them was an elite perimeter defender and the other guy a stud too. So, you know, like I said, it's not an easy fix to fix this team's defense. If you can fix it at all, you can certainly improve on it. There's a lot of room above them. There's a high ceiling. Um, it's not too high, but there is a pretty high ceiling here. There are a lot of good individual defenders, um, but there are also a lot of liabilities. And you can start improving your defense by starting with the basics like communicating on ball screens. That's what I meant to say. I jumped around in my, in my last rant a little bit. That's what I meant to say is you can start improving your defense by communicating better on ball screens, and those lead to easy layups or, you know, uncontested 15-foot jump shots, which will go in more often than not if you have a respectable shooter. But there's so much more to it than than just ball screens or, or communication just because, you know, there's been some lackluster defense all over the place against teams like Fort Wayne and teams like Louisville. And Indiana has given opponents easy looks more often than we'd like to see. Um, so I, I think mean, Tell you who's playing some good defense here is is again my dog <laughs> just face guarding me like I've never had the experience of before on a podcast. I, I get what you're saying, I, but you know if I look at the defensive performances that IU's had, you know they have had one game against an opponent with a pulse. That um, I guess technically two games uh, where they where they were able to hold their opponent to under one point per possession. And, and that's just like kind of a Mendoza line figure uh, when it comes to, you know, are we playing effective defense or not? You look down this stretch. I mean, even, even tonight, they let Illinois score 80 points on 68 possessions. Some of it comes back to the, you know, to the things that you're talking about, this idea that, oh, you know, there need to be better communication. There needs to be, you know, this or that going on. And, and I certainly agree with that. There needs to be. I don't know that it's necessarily something that we're going to see this season because I don't think we've seen it develop or change in previous seasons. But I think another thing that doesn't get talked about as much is how little this IU team turns over its opponents. Uh, they are currently only forcing their opponents to turn the ball over on about 16% of possessions. That's 321st in the nation. And, you know, that just even the, the three or four possessions that you're not turning your opponent over that, that, you know, somebody else is, you know, that's leading to shots, which, which maybe you're going in or it's leading to fouls or it's leading to rebounds. Um, it, it's, it's one thing if you're going to turn the ball over a lot. And, and certainly by, you know, the, the, you know, Tom Crean's talked about how when you play, fast offense like his teams normally play you're going to have um more turnovers i get that but that's there's no excuse for not forcing more turnovers on the defensive end uh and that leads to a situation i think where your defense suffers even more uh, simply because that you're not being active in trying to take the ball away from the team that you're playing against exactly and especially like we saw in Fort Wayne. I mean, they were playing mannequin challenge defense in that game, and it hasn't been that bad all year since then. Um, but, I mean, you know, it starts with communication. There's a lot of things that you could say. But, you know, as a whole, like you said, they have not been forcing turnovers. And for a team that in the past couple weeks has been turnover prone at times, it's better, it's ideal to kind of counter that and cancel that out by forcing turnovers on the defensive end. And they're like you said, they're not being – active enough to force turnovers and they're kind of waiting for a turnover 
you know, to come to them. It's kind of like in football, if you're a wide receiver, you don't wait for that ball to come to you or it's going to get picked off. You have to go get that football. It's like in, just like in basketball. You don't have to wait for a turnover to come to you. You have to go force that turnover. And Indiana has not done that for, like you said, as long as we can remember. And, you know, some things will probably never get changed. It's just that thing about the identity of a team, um, you know, that we've seen over the past handful of years. Uh, for, you know, it's happened for so long and certainly it can be approved upon. It won't. It probably won't be flipped completely. And Indiana won't overnight turn into a team that's going to, you know, commit or, or, I'm sorry, force – 15 turnovers a game that's just not going to happen um but it certainly could improve along the way and with it i think that a lot of these close games these not even two three-point finishes but you know these five six seven point games in the end could turn into overtime victories or even you know last second shot opportunities you know if they force turnovers and reduce the amount that they commit so it starts there too absolutely i couldn't agree more and i think that that's something that'll be you know it's like tonight Crean, you know, in the in the postgame press conference said, oh, they, you know, we charted 37 deflections in the first half. Well, great. I, I'm more interested in turnovers at this point because that that seems to be uh, a tangible statistic that we can look at that actually forces a change of possession. Um, you know, I, I'd love it if we could. I mean, because, you know, as, as bad as Illinois started the game, and I'll say this again, they only finished the game with nine turnovers uh, in a, you know, whatever it was, a, a 68 possession game. Um, so we'll see. It's, it's one of the many things that they've got time to fix. They've got a favorable schedule moving forward here that hopefully they can fix it in. We'll see what they're able to do. Yeah, and looking at their schedule, they don't play a ranked team until February 5th. So, you know, they have, they've got essentially until Super Bowl Sunday to play a ranked team. They do have respectable opponents along the way at Michigan, at Northwestern, Michigan State, at Maryland. Um, but these are teams where they can exercise these, these, these new philosophies and try and, you know, improve on what, they, on what they're struggling with. And did you say that was 37 deflections in the first half? Yes. Okay, so if, if thir- 37 deflections in the first half, if you only force nine turnovers the entire game, like you said, that I, I, I could not care less how many deflections you have in the first half. I want turnovers. I want turnovers. And, you know, all, all deflections do are, for a fraction of a second, cause the offense to hesitate. And, you know... Do we, I don't think we even know what deflections mean. I, I, I'm taking that term very literally. Here. No, very they, literally. This has been around this long... This predates you by years. This is some cockamamie term that, that Crean uses to measure, like... I'm not even totally sure what it measures. I'm sure somebody has the definition, but it's been around for a while, and it's always been, um, to me at least, kind of a, a point of humor whenever it's brought up in post-game press conferences, which is which is often whenever the team is playing well. And, and I don't even know how you can, whatever, the, like you said, whatever those deflections are, committing. I didn't see any defensive statistic out there that suggests they committed or they performed 37 of those acts in 20 minutes. I mean, I just... That that doesn't seem like like something very feasible to me, but that's neither here nor there. I point being less deflection talk. We want to see turnovers, and I I don't think we're the only two people following this team that that are that are going to say that. And it's something that they need to improve on going forward. I'd say we'll say this. You mentioned the schedule earlier on. I know we got to wrap up relatively soon here. Um, the they really need to make some hay over the course of the next seven games. Uh, you know, you're talking about they've got road, uh, road games versus Maryland, Penn State, Michigan, Northwestern, home games versus Rutgers, Michigan State, and Penn State. 
um, th that's where I think they're going to have to get a decent number of wins out of that because that run in from the time they play Wisconsin on the road on the 5th to the time that they play Ohio State on the road on Saturday, March 4th to close the regular season, that's a tough, tough stretch. And, you know, this IU team, we saw what some confidence could do for them offensively here tonight, and that's certainly a good step forward. Um, you know, they've got some rough games that they're still projected to win. Pomeroy actually projects them to win their next four, uh, and that includes two road games. Uh, you know, so you hope they're able to do that. Uh, the win today did bump them back up in, in the Pomeroy projection to 10 and 8. Uh, they had been at 9 and 9 coming into the game. Uh, you know, but this is going to be a really, really crucial stretch. I mean, starting on Tuesday and, and rolling all the way through, as you mentioned, you know, basically to Super Bowl Sunday or just before Super Bowl Sunday. Um, this is where the, the, the crucible of IU basketball for 2016, 2017 is really going to be formed. Exactly, and I've got my eyes locked in on that Michigan State game because we know Tom Ezzo is a great coach, and I don't see what happened to their football team happening to their basketball team in Big Ten play this year. That game I've got circled. That could play the role of that Iowa game at home last year where they defeat a respected opponent and go from there, and then their season kind of turns around, and that could be for better or for worse. So we'll see what happens there. All right, coming up on the assembly call, we're going to wrap it up, give our final thoughts during last call. But before we do that, one more quick reminder – that a great way to support us at the Assembly Call is by ordering your official Assembly Call t-shirt from HoosierProud.com. Go to HoosierProud.com, check out all their selection of stylish, unique apparel that anyone with Indiana roots will absolutely love. And do not forget to use the promo code ASSEMBLY for 15% off. That works for our Assembly Call logo, t-shirts, and anything else you buy on HoosierProud.com. All right, you're listening to The Assembly Call. I am Michael Dugan, and again with Dr. Galen Clavio of the Crimson Cast. We are in for the usual guys who are now at Yogi's, I'm sure. Uh, so if you're in Bloomington in the area, go meet up with them, talk about the game. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you, but we're in for them today. They're doing their annual meetup uh, after this big IU win, 96-80 to 80 over Illinois. So we're going to wrap this one up, give our last call, uh, kind of our final thoughts on this game, Maryland preview. Anything you want to get out for, for the last call right here, let's hear it. All right. Well, let me let's talk. We think we've talked a lot about this Illinois game. The Maryland game is going to be a really fascinating one. Maryland got a big road win uh, today. They went into Ann Arbor. They knocked off Michigan by seven points. They, they really were impressive down the stretch. I haven't known what to make of this Maryland team so far this year. They really their best win is a neutral court win against Kansas State. Uh, they beat Oklahoma State by one, but they really don't have any, you know, high-level victories. Uh, Pomeroy, the, like the, the 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 power rankings, don't really like them. They don't play offense, you know, terribly, but they also don't play it that great. Same thing with their defense; it's just kind of, you know, around the, the fifty mark. Um, but they've got Mellow Trimble, and they look like they're starting to put it together a little bit. And this is a, a game that you know. I don't. I don't really believe in must wins. I've, I've always felt that that is an overrated sort of phrase. But IU has to pick up a couple of road wins uh, to to try to balance out the two home losses that they've had already on this season. And this might be a good one to pick up. I mean, this they've certainly got um, you know an opportunity here if they can catch Maryland, maybe a little overconfident coming off of a victory at Michigan. 
um, to, to pick up a win in a place that might be difficult for other teams to, to pick up a win. They've been close with Maryland a couple of times uh, over the course of the last couple of seasons on the road. Um, you know, the, but they've really got to play, uh, you know, with the same sort of confidence that they played the first half today. Um, you know, and so I'm curious to see how that game goes. I mean, it's, it's really a toss up. I think both teams have had some struggles. I think both teams still have a lot of question marks and these are the sorts of games that are going to start determining, you know, seeding, I think for the NCAA tournament, certainly for a team like IU and maybe for a team like Mike Maryland, you know, whether they're able to get into the tournament or not, um, because they're still looking for some kind of a marquee win, a win against IU might actually fit the bill for them to some degree. Exactly. And you mentioned Melo Trimble. Obviously, he's their guy. NBA draft boards had him last year. He decided to come back. But another guy that jumps out to me for Maryland is a freshman named Justin Jackson. He's their leading rebounder, six a game uh, and ten and a half points a game. He's their leading rebounder, like I said, only stands at six seven. So, you know, that should say something calling Thomas Bryant to, to dominate the boards in this one. Um, and this one's on the road. So this is like you said earlier in the show. This is a place that Indiana is is all too familiar with, with you know being vulnerable on the road in these games, um, and this would be a huge win for both teams, a nice confidence booster for for Indiana going into this you know relatively softer stretch, and I use that with with air quotes for those of you listening uh, and not watching because you know you got to respect every Big Ten opponent. As we learned, Penn State took out Michigan State today, and Indiana's got Penn State it, during this quote unquote soft stretch, who took them out in Happy Valley last year. So. I use soft because it's it's far more manageable than the one that you mentioned that that concludes Indiana season. So they need to pick up every win possible during this stretch, and getting this win over Maryland would certainly obviously would obviously give them a win, but certainly give them confidence, you know, going forward and into these other games like Northwestern and Michigan State. So I'm looking at Melo Trimble, like you said, but I'm also looking at Justin Jackson, and if they can contain him on the boards, like I said, six a game. If Thomas Bryant can dominate him, if he's not even going to be guarding him. Um, but Jackson attacks the board as well, so Morgan, OG, whoever's going to be on him, man-to-man, lock him down, prevent him from, from getting to the hoop and cleaning up the offensive glass, commit turnovers, force – I'm sorry, don't commit turnovers, force turnovers by Maryland, um, and, and Indiana should put themselves in position to win this game. Um, but that will do it for us. We're, we're out of time. Thank you guys for sticking with us, my our live audience. Um, this was great fun. Again, two of us in for Jared and the guys who are – in Bloomington for the game, celebrating this win at Yogi's right now for a nice meet and greet. But, yes, again, that'll do it for us tonight. Thank you again to Dr. Galen Clavio for joining me and your lovely daughter. She had great contributions. So thank you again for, for hopping on. It was great fun. Appreciate it, uh, as always. And nice job tonight. And uh, look forward to doing it again sometime soon. Absolutely. Fingers crossed for that one. All right, be sure to tune in to Jared and the guys back in action after IU's next game at Maryland on Tuesday the 10. And until then... Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers.
Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.